Hello, my name is Duran Schneider, and I'm a practicing internist at Abington Memorial Hospital right out of Philadelphia. Uh, and today I'm joined by Dr. Jack Leahy uh, to discuss a case uh, that is as follows. Uh, we have a 38-year-old Caucasian male uh, who presents to his primary care doctor uh, not having seen a doctor for over uh, 10 years, presents with fatigue, thirst, and has had some recent weight loss. Uh, he has an elevated BMI at 36. His blood pressure is found to be elevated at 150 over 96, and he reports a family history of cardiovascular disease. The initial exam is otherwise unrevealing, but blood work does show an A1C of 8.6, cholesterol level up at 130, triglycerides are at 350, and after that encounter, you diagnose him with type 2 diabetes, hyperlipidemia, and hypertension. Uh, this patient does have insurance coverage uh, and is started on hydrochlorothiazide and lisinopril for his blood pressure, atorvastatin for his hyperlipidemia, and now remains how to uh, deal with his A1C, which is found at 8.6. First step was counseling uh, in lifestyle modification and uh, with a brief office-based counseling, you send him on his way to follow up in approximately eight weeks. Uh, three months later, uh, he does show up and his A1C is down to 8.2. Uh, and having had the trial of lifestyle therapy, the next step is to decide how best to manage his type 2 diabetes. We're presented in this case with three possible uh, options. Uh, one is monotherapy with metformin. Uh, the other is combination therapy, which we'll get into what that means next. Uh, and number three is, is bariatric surgery. Uh, so uh, having set the case up in that fashion, uh, I'd like to begin uh, with Dr. Leahy. Hey, Doran, thanks very much. Let me quickly introduce myself as well. I'm a head of endocrine at the University of Vermont, so I'm um, a specialist, but I'm in a very clinical-based uh, program here as well as uh, sort of um, an academic program. So now jumping into the meat of the podcast, I just did want to highlight uh, that this patient is young. Uh, while healthy, they have multiple risk factors for cardiovascular disease uh, and are uh, obese, uh, is obese uh, with a BMI of, of 36. So uh, the question off the bat then uh, becomes uh, the uh, uh, factors that are weighted uh, by you as a clinician. Uh, I'd like to explore them sequentially. First off is uh, the uh, fact that he does have uh, obesity. Uh, and this is uh, a uh, marker of 36, which I'd like to explore. Does that mean something different to you uh, as it relates to the, uh, the options, as does a BMI of 30? or 33, or 40, or 42. We're presented with three options, metformin, initial combination therapy, and bariatric surgery. So targeting the question of the obesity first, can you help us think through, uh, at least in your own mind, in your own practice, what that number of 36 does to your decision-making, uh, if it is a factor in your decision-making at all? You know, I think that's a really interesting question, and to be truthful to you, I'm not sure I've ever sort of tried to think through that concept, but now that you ask it that way, uh, it, it, 
um, it really leaked this important thoughts from me. I mean, the first issue is you're presented with a man who has a reasonably lifelong history of obesity and presumably profound insulin resistance associated with lifestyle uh, habits that have not been optimal. And so one guess is you have considerable room to try and work with lifestyle changes as well as maybe the surgical changes we're going to talk about later that could have a huge impact on uh, effectively treating all of the diseases he first presents with. You know, part of this, if you want to sort of think about it, is to go to a fairly common form of diabetes I see, which is senior citizens who are presenting reasonably nuanced type 2 diabetes who don't look anything like this man. They're not they're not really much overweight. They don't really have much of a metabolic background, and they seem to present more with an insulin deficiency uh, picture that their blood sugars kind of bounce all over the place. They really get high after meals. And I tend to think of these patients as presenting more with insulin deficiency because I think they're outliving their beta cells. And so you'd think about one kind of therapy, but in this man, it's really the classic sort of insulin resistance, obesity, metabolic kind of patient presenting. Uh, the second thing is I think the actual BM num uh, BMI number does have some impact if we're starting to think about the surgical approach and typically the cutoff in terms of, of appropriate patients for gastric bypass surgery or for some form of gastric reduction surgery typically starts in a BMI of about 35 along with diabetes and so he fits into that. And then I think that sort of the last thing to think about in terms of this is that he's young enough and he's overweight enough that actually some of these patients do amazingly well with early uh, oral therapy, the kind of glucose toxicity patients that we've all seen. Uh, for me, at least, my anecdotal experience has been that the concept of glucose toxicity, someone who comes in with really high blood sugars, uh, if they're not that overweight, especially if they've been losing some weight, it looks more really like an insulin deficiency picture. I'm not sure they have quite the same dramatic reversal of glucose toxicity we, we sometimes see in our more overweight patients. So that's kind of my thoughts on the question. Very good. Uh, and I'd like to try to then isolate not only the BMI as is it a factor in your decision-making, but then also moving to uh, the other um, uh, issue here of his other risk factors for coronary artery disease. Uh, this is typical, uh, and you have someone now that uh, has uh, at least three risk factors uh, uh, for coronary disease with the blood pressure and cholesterol, diabetes, and his gender. Um, how important to you is it in decision-making uh, regarding the uh, cardiovascular risk that he presents with uh, uh, the, the whole package here? In essence, if you took a 38-year-old that was without uh, the other risk factors uh, versus now this 38-year-old with these risk factors, does that, how does that affect your decision-making, uh, if at all, uh, as it relates to uh, the options presented? Well, this has been the hot topic for the last multiple years in the diabetes world as we try and identify what's the most effective approach to therapy and in many ways trying to define what our therapeutic goals are and, and trying to balance out are we trying to fix blood pressure, are we trying to fix lipids, are we trying to fix the blood glucose value, what actually are we trying to do. I think in many ways we would like to do everything, but having said that, the general prevailing thought process is that probably blood glucose control is more effective at preventing microvascular complications over the long term. 
then maybe blood pressure and lipid control, which is a little bit more focused on macrovascular prevention. Now, there's been some going back and forth on the latter, but that's probably a reasonable breakdown. So now we have a guy who's young, and certainly in this country and around the world, the whole sort of phenotype of our patients is they're developing diabetes and other metabolic diseases younger and younger. Our whole goal is to help them live longer and healthier. So in theory, this man is going to have 50 years maybe uh, of life left. And the dominant thing we need to try and protect him against for um, long-term health are strokes and heart attacks and cardiovascular disease. That would be sort of the dominant issue we think about in him. So in in terms of trying to prorate, I think we think of trying to fix everything, but having said that uh, from the get-go, really a crucial issue in him is cardiovascular protection. Clearly that's lipid control and clearly that's blood pressure control. But as it relates now into the decision-making regarding the agent or the approach for the diabetes and the management of the glycemic control, assuming that we have started him on his way towards goal with blood pressure and uh, uh, the lipids, uh, which he's been uh, placed on medication uh, at this point for those conditions, do you factor into your decision-making about the approach for the glycemic uh, the, the glycemic approach, the fact that he has multiple risk factors to, uh, for cardiovascular disease, meaning that if he's 38 and does not have cardiovascular risk factors uh, other than the diabetes, would you pick metformin more uh, so than if you had somebody who had you know, multiple risk factors for cardiovascular disease, would you pick bariatric surgery or is it uh, not a factor uh, at all in the therapeutic approach to uh, the treatment of the diabetes? And again, it's the what impact does the factor of him being with multiple cardiovascular risk factors have uh, in your approach for glycemic control? Yeah, I don't think I'm so methodical to necessarily look at an individual patient and then take the three therapies we're going to talk about, which is um, monotherapy versus combination therapy versus surgery, and sort of move them around on a preferential list um, based on the number of cardiovascular risk factors. I I do agree with you 100% that this patient presents with multiple factors, and it would be optimal to try and identify a therapy that will impact most or all of those factors with a single uh, um, uh, successful therapy. So that could be his own lifestyle modification efforts. It could also be bariatric surgery and certainly the claim to fame as people think about in terms of weight loss, uh, weight reduction surgery is that you get multiple uh, benefits in terms of metabolic parameters, not simply just a diabetes intervention that might one might get with a, a diabetes drug. But also having said that, I think sort of the feeling is that one can also accomplish multifactorial therapy by using individual therapies against uh, each single element of it. So we certainly have lots of patients who are on blood pressure medicines and on lipid medicines and on diabetes medicines that may not cross over to have terribly positive effects on one or the other, but you can optimize all of those uh, factors with individual therapies. Uh, and for me, that's okay. I'm, I'm goal-driven. I'm sort of less driven about uh, necessarily the specific combinations of therapies or trying to minimize those combinations of, of therapies. Um, so with that, I would like to extend my uh, sincere uh, gratitude uh, to you, Dr. Leahy, for, for joining me uh, in the discussion of this fascinating case. 
uh, and we look forward to uh, the next opportunity to get together. Thank you very much. Thanks a lot. This case and others can be found at betacellsindiabetes.org. Please visit the site regularly as we continue to enhance it, add additional cases, and provide content as it appears in the news, in the literature, and around the world.